0: From APM, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Emily Hanford, in for Stephen Smith. Josh Crossan went to two very different types of schools growing up in Seattle. For elementary and middle school, he went to traditional public schools where most of the kids were from low-income families. For high school, he went to a wealthy private school where almost all of the students were white. He says discipline was very different in the two different kinds of schools.
1: The traditional district school often deferred to suspensions and expulsions. Uh, They then resulted, I think, in a lot of what happened next. I have friends that are currently in prison. I have friends um, from that school district who are are dead. I have friends who are working low-wage jobs. Looking at my high school experience, my high school alumni, I'm now calling these friends doctors and lawyers and professionals in their field. And Never once did that private school suspend or expel a person that I knew. Um, It did not suspend or expel me. But they used very creative ways for discipline.
0: Today, Crossan is working to reform school discipline law. He works with MinCan, an education nonprofit based in Minnesota that advocates for racial equity in schools. He's part of a coalition writing a new bill that would change how school districts across the state approach discipline. The Student Inclusion and Engagement Act is before the Minnesota legislature this session. It comes at a moment when researchers and educators nationally are expressing concern about the disproportionate use of suspensions and expulsions on students of color and students with disabilities. We're working on a documentary now that explores the backlash against harsh discipline policies across the country. As part of the documentary, Crossan sat down with American Radio Works associate producer Suzanne Pico to explain what's in the bill and why he thinks discipline reforms should be written into law.
1: Basically what it would do is it would ban zero-tolerance policies in districts. So uh, currently there are federal zero-tolerance policies. Can't bring a gun to a school, for example. Um, But some districts have created other zero tolerance policies, can't wear your hair in a certain way, can't wear your clothing in a certain way. And what this has really done at is create a culture of exclusion when it should be um, looking at, at everything as a case-by-case basis, um, looking at every offense of the rules and, and listening to the, the student's story rather than saying, sorry, you broke the rule. I don't want to hear what you have to say. You're out.
2: So even though there's these really strict zero tolerance policies, they have been interpreted in such a way that they're actually, even though they're supposed to make things clearer, they're doing something else?
1: Yes. uh, I think that they are excluding kids outright from their education. We need to be seeing more discourse and changes in behavior rather than saying you're now out out of school. We're seeing suspensions and expulsions as a first resort rather than a last resort. And I think these zero tolerance policies are a vestige of what that is. I will also mention that um getting rid of these vague terms called willful defiance or willful violation of the rules or general disruption, um, these are terms that are general and vague. A third of all suspensions and expulsions include a victim. Um, what these areas, willful defiance of the rules or or uh, disruption, are another third of the cases where no victim is involved. Yet we don't really know what that means. They're so broad. And, and if you actually were to look at cases where a victim is involved in dismissals, um, it's about proportional to the racial breakup of, of the state. So about 11% of kids in the state are black. Uh, 11% of those who are being suspended or expelled um, due to uh, violence are black. 70% of our kids are white. 70% of those who are, be- who are being dismissed where there's a victim involved, are white. It's pretty proportional to the makeup of of Minnesota's kids. Now, when you're talking about this disruptive behavior where there is no victim, where it's it's a just a subjective understanding of how a kid broke a rule, now that is disproportionately Black and Native American. And When we're talking about education equity, we really need to be talking about this category because it's disproportionately affecting um, these kids of color.
2: So what's wrong with punishing someone for being defiant? If someone's mouthing off, what's what's wrong with... Having a consequence.
1: Definitely consequences are necessary. I think you also need to have positive behavior attached to that, um, making sure that the offense is understood and that the kid can change that offense in the future. You know, and if a kid is suspended or expelled, we just want to know why. This general disruptive behavior doesn't tell us the story, doesn't tell us what disruptive behavior was, what what actually happened in the classroom at that day.
0: You
2: know? So what else is in this, in this yeah. bill? Yeah.
1: So, well, we also look at our data collection. Um, we have data that exists in apples to apples comparison from 2007, 2008, um, that breaks down suspensions and expulsions. Um, that's pretty old data. That's It's just not publicly available. Um, and we also don't disaggregate this data through free and reduced lunch status, through gender, the length of the dismissal. Um, We don't look at homelessness status, foster care status, which are now um, we are now required to disaggregate data by the federal laws. Um, And so we ask the Department of Education, collect the data, give us the data so that we can understand where we can put the resources. This is the
2: Minnesota Department of Education. Sorry. Yes.
1: The Minnesota Department of Education.
2: And so the problem is we have the data on how many suspensions are happening and a general breakdown of race. But it's not doesn't go that much farther than that.
1: Correct. And we also need to be collecting data on different types of dismissals. Uh, we collect data, data on suspensions, um, which are removals from the school system for longer than one day. We have data on expulsions, which is removal from a school for longer than three, for a school, a full year, full calendar year. We don't really have data on classroom removals. Uh, we don't really have data on in-school suspensions, which are we're now required to collect data because of federal law. Um, but these are also areas where we need to just improve our data collection. I think what is an extremely key and important part here is improving the actual disciplinary process. We are now requiring districts and schools to create positive behavioral intervention plans before, during, and after. Uh, suspension and expulsion. We
2: hear about that a lot. What is a positive behavioral intervention plan?
1: It's basically a floor level plan of understanding why behavior happens. Um, If a kid is acting out, if a kid is experiencing symptoms of extreme trauma, um, this is an opportunity for the district, the school, the teachers, the parents to really come together and talk about how we can best serve the kids in need. Um, And so this could look like anything from um, uh, just a, a chat with the, with the kid and the parents um, to a much more intensive how do we ensure that, um, that we are preventing negative behavior in the future. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to check up on you every day. I'm going to um, look at your report cards. So really focusing on the kids that need actually the most help to develop their, their behavior.
2: Is there more in the bill that we haven't talked about? Yeah.
1: We also include creating specific rights for students. Um, Right now, a student who is being disciplined comes into a room with one principal or one teacher and is told to lay out everything that they did wrong, which could potentially be used against them. This bill requires that if a student is at fifth grade or younger or has a disability, that there is an adult advocate in the room. Um, This could be anyone over the age of 18. And this advocate has to be an advocate for the student. So it could be an uncle. It could be a parent. It could be a trusted teacher, a trusted counselor. um, And and this adult advocate would then inform the student, explain to the student what they need to do, uh, why they need to do it or what they don't need to do. We. Also require that the school districts inform any kid um, at sixth grade or higher that they could have an adult advocate, and they're required to provide an adult advocate if a kid is asking for one. Um, but we make it a mandate; we make it a mandatory um, requirement for anyone at fifth grade or lower, um, or a kid with a disability. Um, we also look at school resource officers and peace officers. We've seen. You've probably seen on the news or on YouTube, um, police officers dragging kids on the ground, handcuffing kids, handcuffing kids with disabilities, um, slapping kids around. Um, This is this is of major concern. Um, And this is tied to what we're working on in discipline. Um, Personally, uh, I I think that um, school resource officers or police officers should have a very limited role in schools. If a role at all, um, but in this legislation, what we're really looking at is making sure that the district contract with the school resource officers and explain what they can and cannot do in the district. Um, if they break their contract, if they're actually looking at uh, 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 towing the line, I think then the district would have some um, some recourse that they could they could then abide by by looking at a specific contract. But right now. Not sure if districts actually have these contracts in place or how detailed these contracts are. There's nowhere in law that requires these these memorandums of understanding. So we're just requiring that.
2: Researchers agree that suspensions don't work to correct problem behavior, especially repeated problem behavior, and they don't necessarily improve school climate. But we've seen locally and in, in districts across the country that have eliminated suspensions um, teachers and families can get frustrated because sometimes it, it appears that there's no longer any consequences for students who act out. Will this bill do anything to change that?
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think there needs to be a major narrative shift in the state and in the country. A recent poll just showed that 50 percent of of Americans don't think we should do anything with their discipline practices and policies. Um, what I would what I would suggest is there are uh, always other ways. Um, expulsion, suspension, exclusion are ways that harm kids. Um, not only harm kids through their constitutional rights to a free, free public education, but also harm kids and their peers um, in in local collaboration in improving their ability to to learn and to grow. Um, and there are there are different ways that we can address this. Um, one way that the Student Inclusion Engagement Act looks at is just more funding, more funding for the districts, more funding for the schools, to start thinking about and training educators around best practices on discipline or improving behavior. That is actually a really key part to this legislation. I personally don't have all the answers on how to best improve our discipline practices in schools. What I'm hoping districts and schools will have are the resources to understand what works best for them.
0: That was Josh Crossan, Advocacy Manager for MinCan, an education nonprofit based in Minnesota. He spoke with American RadioWorks associate producer Suzanne Pico. You can learn more about what states are doing about school discipline at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. There, you'll find more podcasts about issues and ideas in education. And you can browse through the archive of more than 100 documentary projects. We'd love to hear what this podcast made you think about. What did you learn? What surprised you? Let us know at AmericanRadioWorks.org. Click on the About page and scroll down to share your impact story. We're on Facebook at American.RadioWorks, and you can follow us on Twitter. We're at RadioWorks. Support for American RadioWorks comes from Lumina Foundation, the Spencer Foundation, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Emily Hanford. Thanks for listening. This is APM.